Welcome to the Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history podcast, a series exploring the rich, nuanced history of Grambling State University, the city of Grambling, and the people who make it. This series is a collaborative project between students and faculty of the History Department of Grambling State University, as well as faculty from the University of Arkansas. The Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history project, has been made possible in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities in partnership with the Social Science Research Council. Additional funding was provided by the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Social Science Research Council, or the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. I'm Brian McGowan. We are speaking today to Connie Russell, who was Connie Mells. Is that is that correct? That's correct. Connie uh-huh. Mells, when she was a participant in the Wisconsin Eau Claire Grambling College Exchange Program in the early 1970s. So thank you for joining us. I really appreciate that. Yes, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about it. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up? Where are you from? Stuff of that nature. I am a a native of Wisconsin. Um, I was born in 1950, the first of four children, and I grew up mainly on dairy farms, which are pretty common in west central Wisconsin. I uh, went to UW-Eau Claire now, uh, graduated in 19. 68. And I, like I said, I was the oldest of four children and uh, went to a small high school. Fall Creek High School is a village that's in Eau Claire County. So um, I really did not ever have any big city experiences <laughs> growing up in a small town on a, on a dairy farm. Did you have many experiences as a as a kid getting out of Wisconsin, or were you primarily was your family and, and such primarily located in in Wisconsin? Although we lived on a dairy farm, which is pretty much a twenty four seven operation, my mom and dad always made sure that they found someone hired help to milk the cows so we could take a vacation every summer. So in the nineteen fifties. <laughs> Before there was air conditioning in cars, we'd pile into um, the Ford and take a long road trip. So, um, you know, I think my mother thought it was important that we saw Mount Rushmore and Yellowstone Park and Niagara Falls and, you know, Gatlinburg and the Great Smoky Mountains. So I did get outside of Wisconsin, and I think, thinking back, I think that was part of the motivation that why I was interested in the exchange program because it was an opportunity to see another part of the country. And I think I was kind of inspired by my folks who thought it was important to take um, trips to see other parts of the country when I was young. Why did you end up deciding to go to Wisconsin-Eau Claire? Well, actually, it wasn't my my initial choice. I Like, a, I think, a lot of 18-year-olds, you really don't know what direction to go in your life. And and just to to remind people that in 1968, when young women were getting career advice, the advice was pretty limited. You could be a teacher or a nurse or a bank teller, you know. But I had done well in my home economics class and got the Betty Crocker Award. 
So I thought my destiny was to go to um, what's called UW Stout. It's a nearby college, and home economics is one of its primary programs. So I went there for a year, um, was pretty unhappy even after the first semester, learning how to put in zipper applications and the correct way to do hemming and seam finishes and how to make sure your bread leavens um, and, I don't know, fashion design just didn't seem like what college should be for me. (laughs) And I had gotten to be friends with someone who was a journalism major, and she persuaded me to write some articles for the student newspaper. And I got really interested in that, and of course you get a byline, and uh, there was something I was sort of taken with that. And I wanted to transfer at the end of the first semester. My folks said, no, give it another semester. You know, this is kind of soon. But at the end of the year, I I just didn't want to be there in that major. Um, so I transferred to Eau Claire because basically my folks said, you know, if you're, you're going to transfer, you're not going down to Madison. We're not going to pay for that. We don't have the money for that. So I transferred to Eau Claire because, of course, I could be a commuter student then. So I lived at home, and when and I remember going into the admissions office, and at that time there was, um, you know, a blank, a, a space on the application to indicate what you wanted to major in. And it didn't occur to me that I could put down undeclared. Later on in my career path, I found out that, you know, 30% of incoming freshmen put down undeclared or undecided. But because I had done that writing for the newspaper, I checked journalism. So um, I became a journalism major at UW-Eau Claire. So that's kind of how that happened. So once you're at Eau Claire, why did you decide to join the exchange program to Grambling? Well, I was in Schofield Hall, which to most campuses you would call it Old Main. You know, it was the original... um, teacher's college building, and there was a poster up uh, about the program, and it it kind of grabbed my interest, and I decided to go ahead and find out how to apply for it, and uh, went ahead and did that. I don't think I consulted with my parents at that point. I didn't really expect to be selected. I thought it would be, you know, kind of competitive and um, I didn't have much confidence I was going to be selected, but I was. There were, of course, a lot of civil rights things going on at the time. I just thought it would be interesting, as I said, to experience a different part of the country. And naively thought it would be interesting to be a minority in on a campus. Um, that That might be a learning experience. And I think I was just in a stage of life where I just thought doing things for the experience of it was a good idea. Well, what did your friends and family think about you going to Grambling? I was trying to remember back, and there are a couple of things that come to my mind. My parents were, I think, supportive, not overly enthusiastic. What, and I, I wondered why my mother wouldn't have been more worried about it, but I think, again, the idea that I was selected for a program, I think she liked the idea of that, and that I'd have a chance to travel, I think she supported that. 
but my mother was always worried about everything so for me I couldn't distinguish between <laughs> whether she was actually worried about me going or just worried about things in general you know um, we didn't have a lot of money so you know just kind of par for the course for her I don't remember my dad's reaction at the time that this was happening let's see I did that in the spring of the year and I had just met my uh, the guy that ended up uh, uh, being my husband in June and so I had been dating him so that summer of 1970 he brought me down to his um, parents place which is in Kenosha outside of Kenosha Wisconsin southeastern part of Wisconsin, Kenosha, Racine is in that kind of urban corridor between Milwaukee and Chicago. That's where he grew up. He went to school at um, Milwaukee, at uh, the U in Milwaukee. So we were having a picnic lunch at his folks' place, and his mother said, did you say you're going to Grambling College? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's in Louisiana. She says, but isn't that a Negro college? And I said, yes. <laughs> and now she definitely looked worried or puzzled or mystified by that. Now, uh, my husband, who was an education major, went on to become a teacher. He taught English for 35 years, worked with the Head Start program in Milwaukee and brought a busload of Head Start kids out to their hobby farm. These are kids, they were mostly from um, inner city of Milwaukee who had never been on a farm. They, they hadn't seen chickens and roosters and horses and rabbits and all the stuff they had on this farm. And he said, yeah, his mom was really kind of concerned about it. But, um, you know, uh, I think she probably got used to the both of us being <laughs> maybe a little different-minded than she was. Otherwise, I don't recall people having too much of a reaction in terms of friends and family. I think my friends were basically, you know, didn't raise any eyebrows about it. So what did your boyfriend think? I mean, at the very least, being being apart for three or four months would probably have been, I yeah, would imagine, I made a <laughs> yeah, probably not, <laughs> so not the thing he was most excited about. Well, we have an interesting story. Um, so we meet in June, and um, he invites me out for bowling, and I can't remember. So we dated June into July. I had already committed to a trip to Europe. Again, my mother is very supportive of travel, and she I had a small inheritance from an uncle who worked for the railroad, and she said, okay, you can use that money to go on this um, trip. It was through UW-Eau Claire. It was an art history tour that I was gone for, I'm trying to think now, July, August. I think we were gone for three weeks. It was a long trip. Oh, that's, Things a, weren't, didn't, yeah, that's a great didn't trip. Count, didn't cost as much at that point in time. And it was before ATMs. Oh, my gosh. So I was gone for this whole period of time. I get home for about a week, and I have to pack and take off to go to Louisiana. So my husband, and then, okay, so then I go to Louisiana, and at that point in time, many schools, including Grambling, were on that different semester schedule 
where there was a Christmas break and you came back after the holidays to finish up the term mm-hmm. and have finals. Uh, you're probably aware of the history here. Yeah, fortunately so we don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, neither does Eau Claire. <laughs> I was gone for that whole semester, and um, he racked up quite a high um, long-distance phone bill, um, which I don't know if your students even know what that is yeah. now that we have cell phones. I know, probably, <laughs> probably not, but... So then I came home at uh, Christmas time, and I'm still amazed at myself that I figured out how to book a flight through a travel agency. I think it was in Ruston, and I, I think I flew out of Shreveport, and then I came back home. I took the bus initially in August, and I think I took the bus home later on, but I, I had never flown on a plane. It was my first experience doing well no I flew on a plane when we went to Europe but that was my first experience trying to arrange travel for my myself so we saw each other for a little bit of time around the holidays then I came back to back to Grambling by the time I got then when the semester and term was done I was back meanwhile my husband was one of the last people to get drafted mm. They still had consignment then. They still had the draft. And he was registered in Kenosha County, and his number came up. So he was called off to um, Port Campbell, Kentucky, for basic training. (laughs) So, again, we have a long-distance relationship. Then he was assigned to Fort Sill after training, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. He came and we decided to get married (laughs) and he came back for the wedding in June so we knew each other actually being in the presence of each other six weeks before we got married Wow! (laughs) and we uh, celebrated a 50th wedding anniversary in um, in 2021 went to Hawaii Um, so that's kind of our story there (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so he was, of course, supportive of it. Um, I think I was fortunate to find someone as a life partner that pretty much on the same page I am in terms of, I don't know, worldviews and um, and politics. No, that's great. That's wonderful. That's a very nice story. You've alluded to this a little bit in your previous answers, but being as though, you know, early 1970s, you know, a time of, of significant civil rights activity. Did the civil rights movement play into your decision to go to Grambling? To some extent, I, there was a lot of unrest. You know, when you're in high school, which was for me through, and I graduated in 1968, for me, uh, in living in a small town in west central Wisconsin, um, that really didn't touch us or didn't feel like it was touching us. I remember getting a TV when I was, you know, in the 1950s. <laughs> so we weren't that, you know, uh, tuned into the, the news. But definitely we, you know, were affected by um, uh, the assassination of Martin Luther King, of course, and then Bobby Kennedy. Um, that was a, um, a time of great unrest. But at that point in time when I graduated, um, there were more and more protests against the Vietnam War. 
And to tell you the truth, I really didn't know until later, you know, after you read history and stuff, Martin Luther King's opposition to the Vietnam War. That, you know, I wasn't even aware of that connection. I, I knew about the March on Washington. We had watched that on TV, and of course, uh, all of the stuff that happened around that. One of the things that was most, it didn't probably influence my decision to go to this, but that spring, I think that was spring of 70, or was it 71? 70. Or maybe it was 71. For me, a real turning point in my attitude towards things was the Kent State shooting, where protesters protesting the war. Um, a National Guard unit opened up fire on them, and um, students were killed, people were killed. And I think probably for me that was where I became most um, impacted by protests and activism and all of that. Me, personally, I have not been that involved in in, um, anti-war protests. I know that's one of your questions. I just, it's and more of a work-behind-the-scenes policy kind of person. I think it, I was pretty naive going into this trip to Grambling. The civil rights movement uh, was big. The March in Washington had happened. Civil rights laws had been passed. I thought the whole, you know, racism, discrimination thing was settled and over with. Um, and... I just thought it'd be interesting to go on, uh, you know, to this other campus for a while. Didn't take me long to figure out that wasn't true, but um, I was pretty naive about the impact of the civil rights movement. I thought it had taken care of the problem, so to speak. The follow-up question there, you you said that it didn't take you long to to figure out that you were, you know, wrong about your, your idea that the civil rights, essentially civil rights had been solved as a problem. What was it down in, in Grambling or down in Louisiana that that showed you that you that the problem had not been solved? Oh, it was you know, a lot of a lot of little experiences. I think the first thing that happened is, you know, it was an exchange program. So there were other white students, um, some of whom were from I think North Dakota and I don't remember where else, a couple of us from Wisconsin. So there were some white students. We definitely were um, a minority. But before I got there, I had learned that some of the white students um, who uh, were friends with blacks, there there was um, a couple of students from North Dakota became friends with members of the football team. They went on a, I don't know, a joyride or something. Anyway, there was a car accident, and they were... Not real bad, but they were hurt enough to be taken to whatever that local hospital, the local hospital down there. And uh, they were getting stitched up and treated until the staff in the hospital found out they were students at Grambling, these white students, and they stopped treating them and discharged them. Hmm. And those students felt like, oh, okay, it's because we're students at Grambling, you know. So that was probably my first experience with that. Oh, uh, one of the things that happened when um, I got to know students, mostly through my roommate, uh, her friends and stuff, and there was a fellow who had a car, and 
I had to write a paper in order to get credit for my Europe experience. We were studying art history, so I had to write a paper on Baroque art, Baroque architecture. And I wanted to use the library over at Louisiana Tech because there were, you know, like privileges there for students across colleges, I guess. And I needed to check out some books for finishing up this paper. So this guy said, well, I'll take you over there. So I go over and I check out the books. And, and he was waiting in the car outside of the library. And when I got in the car, I said, yep, I got him. This is great. And meanwhile, a group of people had started to gather in front of the car. He says, you know, we better get out of here. I think he sensed that having this white girl enter the car could be a risky situation for him. I don't know. My, I had a wonderful roommate. She had good friends, and um, I think we wanted to go shopping. You know, it's always hot down there, too. Shopping for Christmas isn't like shopping for Christmas here. So I think we went into Ruston, if I remember correctly. I was thirsty. I said, can we just go in and get a Coke somewhere? And they said, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I said, here's a cafe. Come on. And I thought, I thought maybe they didn't want to spend the money or something. I said, I'll buy, I'll buy. So we go in a cafe and we sit down and my roommate and her two friends are a little bit, and I wasn't reading the room, so to speak. We never got waited on, you know. Um, and finally, my roommate said, you know, we really need to leave now, <laughs> you know. It was obvious to them, and I think they knew that was probably going to happen, that they wouldn't get waited on. Um, I just was oblivious to it. I was just, like I said, very naive, not sensitive to to reading the environment, which was, you know, probably part of their daily lives. So there were there were things like that. And in talking to people who, in talking to students at who are at Grambling at the time, yeah, they they talk about experiences like that being very common in the late '60s and early '70s um, in Ruston. Mm, really? Yeah. What you witnessed was. You know, as far as I can tell, pretty pretty common behavior, pretty common occurrence. Mm. Yeah, and I, I I felt bad putting them through that, you know. But I guess it was a learning experience for me. What would you say your daily life was like at, at Grambling and how, how it was different, how it compared and contrasts to your time at Eau Claire? So this would be, I guess I'm asking like as a student, you know, kind of like the vagaries of life. For me personally, it was the difference between living on campus and being a commuter student. And so um, I think that was probably part of the attraction of the program, too. It gave me a chance to live on campus, whereas at Eau Claire, I was living at home and had to get to campus by 7 a.m. in order to get a parking spot, you know, to to take classes. And I think I've mentioned before that the um, geography of our two campuses are quite different. I liked that it was a compact, flat campus down at Grambling. Eau Claire has um, uh, two sides of the campus separated by the Chippewa River and a, and a huge hill to climb to get to the cafeteria and student services, health services, as well as a few classes in Fayette Building. Um, so that was just, you know, geography. The ge- geography of the campuses were physically different. I think it was, just, you know, normal like every other student. Um, I 
had to get registered for classes when I got down there, had assistance with that, got moved in. My roommate was good about introducing me to people. Um, fortunately, the people that she knew, her friends, liked to play cards, so pretty much a real regular routine was playing cards down in the common room of our residence hall um, frequently. You know, eating in the cafeteria and then when you could to try and get out to some other place in town. There weren't a lot of other places to eat, so I, I pretty much did lit, you know, eat at the cafeteria. Going to class, doing homework, I think I brought a typewriter along so I could type up papers. <laughs> my roommate, here, here might be this is one of the things, probably one of my big takeaways. People make assumptions about other people based on the color of their skin, right? Mm-hmm. So I told my friend, I was like, how do you get a campus job? I think I'm going to need some spending money here. My mom would send me like $25 every once in a while when she could. The assumption was this white girl has money. Obviously, she must have money. And I didn't. So when my roommate realized, she says, well, you can get a job, you know, on campus. And I said, I I don't really know how to do that. And she was great. She just showed me how to fill out the forms. She also showed me how to put in the right numbers so I'd look like I was eligible for student aid. (laughs) Which probably wasn't kosher, but it did get me a job at the library. Okay, and, and so, what did you what did you do at the library? Whatever you know, it was just kind of um, you know a routine job of um, reshelving books mostly, you know, which gave me an opportunity to meet other people. That's how I met the guy who gave me a ride to the other library. Oh. Um, he started talking to me one night, and I you know just got to talking to him, and and uh, so so that was a part of my routine. There were parties. I went to, you know, parties all the time on the weekends, went to some parties. I was trying to blend in. (laughs) I was trying to be like other students, so I think I had a fairly normal experience there. One thing I will say is that sororities, fraternities, Greek life was real big there, like it was on, you know, most college campuses in that era. When I went to Stout my first year, I was, um, you know, sort of recruited to join a sorority. It wasn't my thing. I just didn't like it. It didn't, I don't know, didn't align with what I kind of wanted to do. So I didn't do anything with the whole Greek life. But, you know, I went to football games. Um, I remember traveling on a very long bus ride to Houston because the football team was playing... Uh, I'm trying to think which Texas school it was now. I think it was Southern. I think it was Southern. Texas Southern? Yeah, it was in Houston. I'm trying to think. We might have been in a large arena. Would it have been the Astrodome maybe? (laughs) I don't know. But it was a long bus ride because at that time I'd been sort of hanging out with one of the football players. And that is the first time, well... Grambling generally is the first time I saw um, a very dynamic Tigers marching band. And they put on such a show. Um, it was great. That style of, of um, marching band, 
I think must have come out of black colleges. I would be interested in knowing the history of it because I think it became a trend and more schools took it on. So, you know, all the white colleges now have marching bands that are very animated and do more like dance steps rather than marching, you know, kind of went from John Philip Sousa to, you know, Beyonce (laughs) with the halftime shows. Yeah, I think that's probably okay. it for, you know, just my general, you know, things that were happening on campus. Yeah, I pulled up, I, I just pulled up the Grambling schedule at the time. It looks like it was probably Texas Southern in the Astrodome. Yeah, that could have been it. Uh, that, that's so that probably was a great experience, game. except for the bus ride was really that's, long. And that, is, <laughs> that is a long bus ride, for sure. <laughs> what were your classes like? I, I would say it's it was pretty similar. I'm trying to remember all my classes. I had English. I had African American history. I had an art class. I'm trying to think. I think I had a writing class, another or journalism class maybe. I was trying to pick classes that I thought would transfer back to Eau Claire. And I think maybe all but one of them transferred, because that was kind of part of the exchange program. You wouldn't lose credits by, you know, going on the exchange program. I think I had mostly black professors. I remember two in particular. I did well in the English class, but then that was sort of my strong suit, you know, (laughs) literature and you know, I was a journalism major, that kind of thing. That was more um, up my line than science or math. But I, I remember I expressed some concern because she seemed like a pretty tough teacher. She was giving us uh, quite a bit of of um, assignments. She seemed like a, a, a pretty um, demanding <laughs> instructor. And I was you know, kind of worried about and explaining, you know, kind of expressing my concern about, boy, I'm going to have to really buckle down to do well in this class. And another student in the class looked at me in puzzlement and said, wait, you're going to get an A? I said, well, you know, I like English courses, but, you know, she's going to, she says, no, you're white. You're going to get an A. And that kind of took me back, (laughs) realizing they're making assumptions about me that I have money, that I'm automatically going to get uh, an A. I think I got an A minus, actually, without knowing anything about me or my capabilities, you know. Mm-hmm. So the course that that I got a B or B minus, I can't remember, was African-American history. <laughs> I wanted to, that was a course I thought would transfer, too, you mm-hmm. know, because I get liberal arts credits there and stuff. Purely um, out of out of curiosity for my own self, do you do you remember anything about that particular class, that African American history? You know, class? I've been searching my memory for it. I again, this is me. I thought it was kind of dry and boring. That um, that that is entirely and, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm just that's just my own curiosity as to how it was taught at Grambling in the early seventies. I am trying to remember specifics. I am sure it is taught much differently now. And you have to remember, this is right after all those civil rights things, so the history that they're teaching would have been 
you know, so much further back. Um, I can't remember too much about that class. Um, but I must have done, you know, fairly okay in it. We probably had to do some long paper. I liked the art class. It was mostly ceramics <laughs> and stuff like I think it was a ceramics class. That's what I took. So I started out having an art minor. And when I came back after, okay, I got married, dropped out of college, got married. My husband was in the Army. I came back and I went to school part-time, having a full-time job. An art minor doesn't work out. If you know art minors, they take many more hours of time in the classroom than you get credit for, kind of like music. So I switched to a business minor so I could take classes at night. But I've always been interested in in art. So that probably is the class I enjoyed the most while I was there. What's the social scene like at Grambling? Like I said, my roommate uh, was good about, it's not like she wanted to be my best friend and hang, you know, that we should hang out all the time together, but she introduced me to people and got me, you know, um, uh, in with some people and it went from there and, yeah, went shopping, um, yeah, I think I I probably have covered all of that that I was going to... The only other thing I was going to mention, which is not really social scene, somewhat, there were faculty members at Grambling at the time who were aware of the, you know, exchange program and kind of took us under their wing sometimes. So, for example, for Thanksgiving, I didn't go home for Thanksgiving, and so one of the professors there, a woman invited us to her home for Thanksgiving. So I was really grateful to have an opportunity, you know, to go to somebody's home, have home cooking and that sort of thing. Do you remember um, out of curiosity who, who that might have been? No, black woman. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> names. If I had to go back and do this all over again, I would have journaled every single day mm-hmm. and written these names down. But when you're young, you think you're going to remember everything. Oh, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> you, think, you think your mind is going to store all this information. Now, the interesting thing was, I, you know, after Thanksgiving break, we're back on campus, and so my, my roommate said, what'd you do? And I said, oh, we didn't have any place to go. So, you know, this professor, you know, invited us, um, exchange students over to her place, and, and she said, oh, well, I would have invited you to come home with me, but I didn't think you'd want to. She's from Mississippi. I I didn't know what to make of that at the time, and I've thought about it later. Like, what did I do, or how did I... What did I say that would make her think I wouldn't want to have gone to meet her family, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, maybe that's on her that she feels it wouldn't have been, like, I don't know, safe for me. I can't remember where she's from. It was like Monroe or, or maybe Meridian. I know she's from Miss, Mississippi. I still regret not having a longer conversation with her yeah. about that because I would have loved to have <laughs> gone to somebody's home to another, like I said, mm-hmm. another another state. Yeah. And, um, you know, so. Uh, when we spoke earlier, you said that her name was Conning, too. Do you happen to remember her last name? No. And I'd appreciate any help. (laughs) I will certainly try to find her. Knowing that she's from Mississippi will narrow it down a little bit. 
I think it was only about the time you were there that Grambling finally relented and allowed female students to wear pants on campus. They had previously been required to wear skirts. Yeah, and when I was there, we still did wear... Boy, I remember wearing dresses, actually, when I was there. So... Okay. Yeah, different time. Different time for sure. And and speaking of different time, this is a question I always like to ask people because I I think it really it it just it's universal. Students from 1970, students from 2023 can all relate to it. What do you remember about the food on campus? <laughs> it was it was mostly edible. On a somewhat regular basis, I think I remember maybe two or three times um, chitlins were on on the uh, menu, <laughs> and I will admit to you, I just couldn't do it. I never did sample them. I didn't extend my learning experience to tasting chitlins, but I did acquire a real love of good um scrambled eggs and grits, mm-hmm. um, as, and that was not nothing that I had had before, and it's, you know, fairly common there. Otherwise, it, it was um, it was pretty good. Um, I don't remember anything else in particular about the food, but food isn't the most important thing to me. <laughs> Even now, if I go to, if during my work career, we went to a professional conference, I was more interested in who I met, what was at the sessions, what I learned, that sort of thing. But there are people who will go on and on and on about how bad the salad was at lunch, and that just is not a priority for me. (laughs) But I do remember there was a cafe off campus, and the owner was a guy, and they had really good barbecue, and it's also where I went on on weekends to get... um, uh, grits, um, scrambled eggs and grits, and I don't even remember the name of that cafe, but it was really good food. To kind of wrap things up, what struck you, what what stuck with you, rather, about your experience at Grambling when you returned home? One of the things that happened, one experience I had down there has stuck in my memory, and, you know, like in the last couple of years, it's surfaced again a couple of times, and definitely Monday when I attended a Martin Luther King (laughs) program here at, um, you know, Claire. Part of the routine, like I said, I was kind of dating this friend of my roommates. They went to high school together. So we'd go to the cafeteria, have the evening meal, and then a lot of times we'd go over to his residence hall in the lower level, like a lot of residence halls, Those they have those rec areas, mm-hmm. you know, maybe foosball tables and, and lots. It's, it was always, it was, there was a counter where you could ha- get pizza and Coke and stuff. I remember you could get popcorn down there. But as a rule, it was always very raucous. It was very loud, a lot of people, you know, uh, a lot of music. And so it was kind of, you know, that was just the routine. One night we went down there, and it was quiet, strangely quiet. And we were wondering, like, what's going on? And I look over into the the larger area, and everybody is seated 
um, either on the floor or in chairs or whatever, and they're they're glued to the television set. Now you have to remember, no flat screen TVs. This is one of those you know, mm-hmm. those boxy things, you know, mounted on the the wall and a video recording of Martin Luther King Jr. doing the I Have a Dream speech. And so here are all these students, um, these football players, these big linebackers with crocodile tears coming down their cheeks, you know. I get emotional when I think about that scene. And so that was sort of a, you know, an epiphany for me that um, I will never know. I will not ever know what the experience is, you know, to be in a quote-unquote minority. It was pretty impactful for me to to watch that. That's, that's a remarkable story, and it sounds like you had an absolutely remarkable experience. Before we wrap up, are there any questions that I, that I should have asked but I didn't? No, but I think, you know, one of the big takeaways from those types of exchange programs is that you get to know people on an individual basis. If nothing else, you don't treat anybody as a, some sort of monolithic group, right? And that there's always value in person to person, individual to individual. It it does increase understanding. And I did come away with a better understanding of, I think, of the South at that time. But, of course, I came to learn that the kind of... Um, racism and discrimination that you know I thought was you know part of the south was just as much a part of my state and my part of the country too and I uh, I would I don't know if they're going to ever continue exchange programs like that um, I think it it was very beneficial that sounds really wonderful. It it sounds like you had a really great, really great experience, and I thank you so very much for sharing it with us. Thank you so much. I really, so truly appreciate you reaching out and doing the <laughs> the work to track me down. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm just amazed at that. Um, but I have thought about that experience, especially in the last couple of years, and have thought about. Um, making the connection again. So I so truly appreciate you doing this. You've been listening to the Voices of Grambling, a digital oral history podcast, a production of the students and faculty of the Grambling State University History Department, along with faculty at the University of Arkansas. Be sure to listen in to one of our other episodes. And if you have a voice you would like to share or have a nomination for a voice that needs to be heard, please contact the History Department of Grambling State University for more information.